Welcome back, everyone, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. You're probably listening to us on InsideOfBaseball.com because you just showed up here, so welcome. But if you're listening to us on Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe because we're not dropping these on a regular schedule because all of our schedules are a little bit weird, and you're going to want to get this stuff kind of fresh. Brandon Kamman's with me. I'm Lou Blassie. We're from Fantastics and InsideOfBaseball.com. Brandon was just telling stories about his son and Little League and Heat and <laughs> something all of his parents know about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, it's like I remember myself in the in the age that he's at right now, where when it starts to get hot and you know not a whole lot of actions happening, uh, and you're sitting in the outfield and you know <laughs> thinking about maybe other things. Ice cream, ice cream. Yep, Snack we did bar. get ice cream after his latest game. Of course, Snack Bar too. That's what you're thinking about there in the outfield. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk quality of contact today, and we're basically buying or selling on pitchers and. Uh, just to have a little fun with that concept, just buying a song on them based on quality of contact. And um, I was thinking about it and we've done quality of contact. We talk about quality of contact a lot when we do the fantastic show on Sirius of doing the podcast here. And I like it for pitchers. The thought that occurred to me is I like it for pitchers because we want to really narrow down on things that pitchers can control. And obviously they can't control what's happening on the batter's end a hundred percent, but quality of contact, is kind of a skill demonstrating indicator, isn't it? It's it's something that the pitchers do seem to have some control over. Yeah, no question about it. Um, I think we, you're right. I think we pay, a, I mean, we certainly pay a lot of attention to quality of contact from the hitter's point of view um, and maybe not enough from the pitcher's point of view, uh, but there's no question that, uh, and, you know, and it's not always about velocity. It's not, it's, it's oftentimes, you know, when they develop a, let's say a really good, maybe a cutter, it may be this sweeper that has become popular this year. Um, it, it's, it's about getting the batters to hit the ball on the, you know, end of the bat or, right. you know, top it or, you know, hit a weak pop-up or something like that. And, and that adds up and, uh, you know, and that typically is why we're going to, you know, bring up Babbitt batting average on balls and play in, in, in coordination with this, because, you, you know, if you are giving up weak contact, generally you're going to have a lower Babbitt. Sometimes it's not the case because we know Babbitt can often involve luck. And so those are the things we want to look at to see, first of all, you know, who, who is pitching well enough to elicit, you know, uh, weak contact. And then is that contributing to a lower BABIP, which is, you know, ultimately going to help everything for the pitcher. So, um, those are the things that we want to look at and, and it's still early. I mean, there's still sample size issues, you know, I mean, you know, we're mid May, um, so there's only, you know, a lot of these pitchers have 40, 50, 60 balls and, you know, yeah. batted balls. So it's still relatively small sample size, but certainly we can read some things out of, of, of what we see already. Well, it's especially true with some of the relievers we're going to be talking about, but relievers are always a sample size problem anyway. That's just, just something you have to deal with with relievers. And we've talked about batted ball quite a bit, even before stat cast and even before quality of contact, because we could start to see some trends in pitcher stuff if they were control if they were throwing more ground balls, for example, or they were controlling pull or you know, just we'd look at changes in their indicators and try to see, because again, I say this all the time, starting pitchers and pitchers in general are like alley cats. They're just wandering around finding stuff all the time. And you could be 32 years old and just get a grip in the bullpen or just talking to somebody at a lunch in the off season and come up with stuff. And it changes the game for some pitchers. So we have to be alert to it. We have to be aware of it. And we have to kind of buy in a little bit when we see something, something that's changed. And oftentimes after we see a change in some of this batted ball type of data, we'll go to deployment and, and look and see if they're throwing something a little different if they found a little velo, or if, as you mentioned, they're going to the slider a little bit more and, and drawing a little bit more ground ball contact. We can also figure out what the pitcher's doing. We've talked about Graham Ashcraft a couple of times on both shows on Sirius and here in the podcast. And he's a guy who should have more strikeout ability than he does, but he's not really pitching for strikeouts. He's pitching for weak contact. And we can identify styles and approach on some of the pitchers as well through the, through this data. Yeah. There's so many different things that you can read. I mean, this StatCast data that we've been provided, you know, again, since 2015 has really been a game changer in the industry um, because they're, like you said, the things that we've looked at 
before we had StatCast, now we can look at it in a different light with the StatCast data. And so that's why, again, uh, you know, there's, it's hard to look at quality of contact without then looking at BABIP. Well, BABIP, you know, is a stat we've used for years. Um, but now we can see it maybe in a little bit of a different light because, um, you know, there, there's a couple instances of guys as I was doing some research for this, uh, for this podcast where, they have, let's say, a really good quality for pitchers wise, so weak quality of contact that they're allowing, but they got a high BABIP. Well, to me, you know, then I, I can dig in a little bit further. And, you know, first instinct is, well, there's some bad luck that's going on there because we know BABIP can, um, can have luck involved. I mean, there's a number of luck reasons and certainly the fielders you have behind you also will play into it. But um, these are things that, you know, can help us further understand where the BABIP, where BABIP is at without just assuming it's, oh, luck, bad luck, or something along those lines. Well, it's like peeling the layers of the onion. When we got BABIP at first, BABIP, we considered a luck stat. And basically the feeling about BABIP was that it's around 300. And if it's less than 300, you've been lucky. If it's over 300, you've been unlucky. And then we found out later as we got more sophisticated with it, we found out that pitchers and batters to a degree have some sort of influence over it. If the batter has speed, and we mention this all the time, pull and fly ball for batters means lower BABIPs. It's the way it works. So it's part of your skill set as well as being a luck stat. And with pitchers, it's part of their skill set as well. Some pitchers have an ability to control BABIP. And oftentimes, when you look into quality contact, you find out the reason why. It helps us establish how much of that BABIP is luck and how much of that is pitcher performance. Yeah, totally. Um, and and so, like I said, yeah, these these numbers that, that we have, like BABIP, um, we can we can better understand. And 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 like you said, it's I love to look as we're kind of digging into this at the pitch deployment and you can even, you know, look at which pitches are giving up hard contact, which pitches are giving up weak contact and get a feel for why the pitcher is using this pitch more, or maybe using this pitch less. It's, it's, you know, that's kind of fun. And the overall game here is in here in the Boston market up here on sports radio, there's uh, the popular afternoon hosts have all kinds of problems with analytics and stuff like that in the sports in general. And the game here is not to use the analytics to necessarily tell you what's going on. It just asks, it raises questions for you. And what we're looking for is when the indicators tell us a little bit different story than what the results stats are telling us. And when it tells us a little bit different story, we try to figure out why. It's not necessarily we take it for rote or we take it that that's the gospel. It's just that it brings up the discussion of why do these indicator stats look a lot better or look a lot worse than the results stats. That's the basic game in analytics, isn't it? Yeah. um, Again, we've said this before. It's not to be all end all. Um, You can still trust your eye. Uh, You know, you can still trust what you, you know, knew before we had some of these numbers. Um, but it certainly gives us more information. And I do think analytics has, has really helped us identify um, sleepers or guys overperforming, things along those lines. I, I think it's it's really honed in on that, which from a fantasy perspective makes trading more fun um, yep. and, and things along those lines. So, I do think it has helped us in in a number of ways, no question. All right, let's dig in a little bit, and we'll start with some relievers. And these are guys who have allowed weak quality of contact. Jordan Romano, uh, 338 ERA. And this is a good example because when when you're digging in the result stats with relievers, especially ERA, you can get into some problems because skewed, you know, bad outing, particularly bad outings play pretty heavily into those result stats and don't necessarily get erased all that easily and doesn't always give us at face value how well or how poorly the pitcher is performing. Yeah. And, and we know this with closers is, is, you know, one he, Jordan Romano early in the season had one start, he gave up three runs and uh, you know, that's inflated his ERA, you know, whereas a starting pitcher could give up three runs in the first inning and end up giving up four runs in the game and the ERA isn't affected as badly. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're dealing with, maybe one start where they just didn't have it or, or one start where they gave up a three run homer or something along those lines. Um, but as for Romano, yeah, the three, three, eight ERA is fine. You know, I don't think anybody's too concerned about that, but it is significantly higher than where it's been the last few years. Um, and it probably should be lower. Um, he's doing a lot of things. We really like to see, um, strikeouts are great. Um, his swinging strike rates over 20%. 
Um, and his walks are actually down. Um, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, 7.4%, so probably a little higher than I'd like for a closer, but it's better than where it's been. And, I, and I'm fine with that. Um, he has cut his hard hit rate in half from last year. Yeah. So he's really addressed this quality of contact. His average exit velocity is down about eight, uh, seven and a half miles per hour at an incredible 82.7 miles per hour. Um, that's where his average exit velocity is right now. Um, he's thrown his slider a lot more. So this is again, where we talk about pitch deployment about yeah, 64% of the time. When I see a big dramatic jump like this. This is one of the first things I, I look at I go, All right. Is he using his arsenal a little bit differently? Is he found a pitch? Has he, is he changed his deployment? And yeah, he's, he's changed it significantly. It's been kind of a trend for the last three years, but it's a significant change. Because, you know, he, he's he's understanding that his walks aren't necessarily going up, even if he uses his slider more. And he is allowing an 80 mile per hour average exit velocity on the slider. So that really low uh, quality of contact that we're talking about, it is it is largely connected to that slider. And uh, and it's been fantastic for him. I mean, the slider, his slider has been one of the best pitches of all pitchers in the majors this year. His CSW rate is up. Again, I mentioned his walks are down. So even though, you know, he's had that 338 ERA, which again isn't, you know, nobody's too concerned about that, but it, it should be better. Um, and, you know, he's been great. I mean, I think fantasy owners probably have to be, feel good about Jordan Romano, 10 saves. He's, he's kind of done what you wanted him to do. He's obviously getting a lot of strikeouts. Um, but I think he probably maybe should even be better than where he's at. And, we talk about uh, delta with velocity between fastball and change more often, but it plays up in other pitchers as well. And he's basically a fastball slider guy, but he's got a 10 mile an hour delta on the two. And that slider does a couple things for him. It, first of all, hitters can't straddle both pitchers. They can't straddle a 10 mile an hour difference. You can't sit one and read the other. You got to kind of, kind of, kind of have to commit one way. Or the other you have to protect yourself, especially in leverage counts. But it opens the top of the zone for him at this point. People are looking down for that slider, looking down and away for that slider, and then you bust him up and in. It's hard for a hitter to straddle quadrants in the zone as hard as it is to straddle delta as well. It just makes him very difficult because those two pitchers are so pitchers are so different. And yet he can also throw a fastball down, which is going to look like that slider, but it's ten mile an hour hotter, you know. Yeah, and sometimes when you know you see that slider up in the zone, uh, you can worry about home runs. But when he's giving up an eighty mile per hour average exit velocity, yeah, you know that's mostly weak pop ups or weak fly balls. And you know he's that's why he hasn't given up any home runs on his slide. He's only given up one home run all year, and that was on his fastball. So uh, yeah, I mean he's he's doing he's gotten more comfortable with his pitch deployment. He, he really obviously has confidence in that slider and, you know, a 325 BABIP. So this is again, where we talk about that, that's way too high for, for kind of what the numbers we're looking at. And it's way higher than where it's been in his career. So um, I'd expect that number to come down and, uh, and th- that'll bring down his ERA. But again, you know, it is a closer. So when that, when we say bring down that ERA, it kind of takes a s- slow process for that ERA to come down. Yeah. And those amount of innings, but swinging strike and chase rate is up and quality of contact is way down. And yet the BABIP is, uh, you know, what, 60 points, close to 60 points over his career average. That's going to regress it a little bit. Everything's fine. It's going to take a while for those, yeah, that bad outing to uh, race off this off his ERA at this point, but don't be bothered by it. Everything's going fine for him. Yeah, no, I think he has developed himself into one of the top closers in the game. And, uh, I, you know, I think he's, he's a top five closer right now. Another guy making a dramatic change in all these things. We talked about quality of contact, swing strike percentage, chase rate, all big gains this year is AJ Puck. Been an, that was an interesting trade, huh? Because uh, now JJ Blade is up, and he's been performing pretty well um, since since he came up. And uh, you know, he was like the question. Remember, was is Puck going to start for the A's, and then he gets traded to the Marlins, and nobody really knew. Anyways, he has established himself as the closer in Miami, um, and yeah, he's done he's done a lot of things really really well. Weak, weak, weak quality of contact. He is he has a high fly ball rate, which sometimes can be scary um, when, when you're talking about a closer because of home runs. And he has given up um, some home runs, uh, but not well, two, I guess, but uh, two in 14 innings. 
But his weak quality of contact, again, as I was saying, kind of with Romano, it's like when you're only giving up, you know, such weak contact, you're less worried about the the home run ball um, because a lot of those fly balls are going to be pop-ups or weak fly balls. Um, anyways, the, the fly ball rate, too, also tells me that that BABIP should be lower, uh, 325 BABIP, but when he's got weak quality of contact and a fly ball rate like that, you feel like that BABIP should come down. Um, I love that he's only walked three batters all season because walks have been, you know, a bit of an issue for him in, in the past, but he really seems to have that under control. Um, and then the strikeouts are in really good shape. Um, you know, they, they've improved. So um, I think Puck is comfortable in that uh, closer role, and and I would assume that the Marlins are committed to keeping him in that role. Yeah, there's no reason not to at this point. Plus, it's kind of hard. It would be kind of hard to flip him back because he's basically fastball slider as well. He's not really throwing anything else. And it's tough to stretch a guy out into back into the starting rotation because, as we've talked about, there's room in the starting rotation for two-pitch guys. But these are the guys who don't see the third time through the order so that you're only going to get into the fifth inning with these guys, if that. So it makes it a little bit difficult. Plus, he's been so effective. Why would you mess with him? No, yeah. I, I think he and, – and again, even if he has – a bad outing or something along those lines. I, I think that he's, he's established some comfort in the role. He had back to back outings uh, a week or two ago where he gave up two runs in each of them. Other than that, he's just been dynamite all season. Um, and so I, I think they've got to keep him in that role. And, and, you know, I mean, he's still only 28 years old and early in his career because he's dealt with a lot of injuries and, um, you know, came up just, you know, in 2019. And so um, I think, yeah, this is the role for him. I, I don't think you mess with it at this point. And I think he can establish himself as, as a good closer in this game. Significant change for him as well in terms of deployment, just in a lot more dominance with the slider at this point. He was a 60 plus percent fastball guy all of his career in Oakland, 46.8 percent this year, 50 percent slider when it was uh, 38 was the previous high last year in Oakland. He's got a good 10 mile an hour delta, too. And it's just we're back to this is the pitch in baseball right now, the slider, because it's a little bit more safe in terms of when there is contact. It's not. It's difficult to lift, and it's and the quality of contact is usually much less than fastball. Guys have been dialing into fastballs for years in the major leagues. Yeah, and uh, I mean that slider slash sweep or whatever they want to call it is eighty three point six mile per hour average exit velocity that he's allowing on it. So you just love to see when a pitcher identifies a pitch that's working and and sticks with it. You know, it's it's just a pitch that's absolutely working. He's he's given up four hits on it all season on that sweeping slider. Um, it's it's just been great. So I, I think he needs to stick with it, and he clearly understands that. And so, um, you know, as a closer, you can do that. It, I mean, just like we saw with Romano before is, um, you know, you're, you can, if you have a really, really good slider sweep or something along those lines, um, you can use that as your primary pitch. I mean, he still pitches his fastball almost half the time, but um, – it's really that sweeper slider that's just been incredibly effective for him. And we've talked about this before with control issues, with walk issues. There's usually two reasons, and sometimes it's a mix. It's either uh, lack of control, can't throw strikes, or don't want to throw strikes because you don't have any confidence. With that slider coming along, obviously what's happening here is he can he can attack hitters a little bit more. He feels more confident coming, going into the zone and has the control to back it up. And that's usually what we try to identify with guys who have control problem. Well, is it mechanics? Is it, is it uh, inability to throw strikes or is he just leery to come into the zone? Clearly that was some of the walk issues with, um, uh, with uh, AJ puck to this point is maybe he was a little less confident coming in his own because, you know, because he was getting hit, but the slider gives him confidence. He can come in. I don't have to, I don't have to nibble on guys. I can just go right at him. Yeah, no question. And and this is one of those instances. And again, you can see this more often with closers rather than starters where his slider is actually to set up his fastball. Yep. <laughs> so right. uh, usually if you use your fastball to set up your, you know, breaking pitches or off speed pitches, but in his case, uh, again, his slider sweeper is is more of his primary pitch. And then he uses his fastball, you know, about a 95, 96 mile per hour fastball really is his put away pitch. Um, because if you're seeing this 80, mid 80s 
right. sweep ball sweeping out of the zone. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you got two strikes and he throws a 96 mile per hour fastball, you know, hard to catch up on it. So Feels uh, like that's, what's kind of interesting with him. Yeah. Feels like 106 when you get in the Exactly. And again, at about 10 miles an hour, it's difficult in the way I always put it. It's difficult for hitters to straddle the two. Some, if you have a smaller Delta, sometimes a hitter can, uh, look slider and read fastball and react, but you can't, you can't do it at 10 miles. Now you can't straddle. No. Yeah. I mean, again, we talked about it. It's, it's getting comfort in having command and control over that pitch because he's keeping those walks so low that, you know, if he can continue to keep those walks low, there's no reason he can't continue with this pitch deployment. It's does he lose command of that, slider sweeper at some point that that would be the one concern here but he he appears to be really confident in it right now justin Steele is one of those borderline guys as we get into starting pitching a little bit justin Steele is one of those borderline guys who's not really a quote-unquote power pitcher and he's not a big strikeout guy and so what you need to do he needs to control quality of contact at this point and he does it very effectively and even there's been a little bit of a jump so far this year yeah, um, and he continues to cut down on his walks, um, which which has been really important for him because walks were a problem for him, you know, early in his career and at the higher levels of the minor leagues. Um, so cutting down walks while generating even weaker quality of contact. He's always been a weak quality of contact guy, but um, it's become even better this year for him. And, you know, that's why he's been absolutely incredibly effective. I mean, he's had a phenomenal start to the season. Um, but yeah, in 80 sub 85 mile per hour average exit velocity. I mean, just, just absolutely incredible. Um, Steele's another guy who, like you said, he doesn't have high velocity. He's not out there to, you know, blow guys away and strike them out. And, um, you know, his strikeout numbers are pedestrian. They're, they're not very, you know, exciting, but he, is there to generate weak contact and he's able to do that with a really good um slider that you know is a, his slider is getting an 83.3 mile per hour average exit velocity so um now he is primarily primarily a fastball guy and again low 90s fastball yeah. but he's able to have again about a 10 mile per hour delta it's about a nine mile per hour delta between fastball and slider so it's sort of like a change of pace slider um, and it moves well and, uh, and he has, he has more command over it and that's the key right now. So he can use his slider. Yes. To get a strike if he needs it, but it, it's really to get weak contact and, and he's been successful at that. Now he's not a 182 ERA guy. No. I think everybody's in agreement there. So this is going to regress to, uh, to a point and he's got an 81.7% left on base percentage and a 259 BABIP here which uh, probably numbers that are going to regress a little bit too. But where does he fall? What does he look like to you as a pitcher now? Over 119 innings pitched last year, 318 ERA. It was a 359 XERA. His XERA so far this year is 321. So he's uh, he's a, if I were going to put the over under at 340 for ERA for the year. Yeah, I'm going to actually go under, but not not significantly under. I think that 321 XERA looks about right to me. Um I, I think my question heading into this season was, is he really a 318 ERA guy, which again, he was last year, or is he more, you know, around four, um, yeah. his ex FIP, his, his, his ex ERA, like, again, we're in the mid threes last year, but, um, ended with a 318 ERA and I wasn't positive. That's where he should be. I'm feeling better about that now. Uh, I'm feeling better that, that, uh, those improvements in quality of contact are real and that they're not just, they're not luck based. They're not sample size based. Like I, I think he certainly has a, this is where we started. It is a bit of a skill set and you can do things certainly to, you know, initiate weak contact. And there's no question that he has that ability and that he's, he's comfortable being that pitcher. I think, um, not to mention, you know, again, this is where, uh, who are the fielders behind you? That does matter. Um, the Cubs have a really, really strong infield. He's a ground ball pitcher. Um, they have a very, you know, skilled defensive infield. Uh, so I think that helps him as well. Um, and he knows who he is now. And he, I, I think, I think earlier in his career, Steele wanted to be a strikeout pitcher. And I think he realizes he's not. He's a, he's a low nineties fastball guy. 
Um, and so fine, limit your walks, get weak quality of contact and just be that pitcher. So I think he's comfortable with who he is. And I, I think I would go under that three, four. And I'd like to see, uh, here's the thing. You have to have faith in two gains he's made this year. And over the last couple of years is, and it's the three pillars of pitching that we talk about all the time. Can you strike out some guys? Well, he was striking out about a, a, a batter per nine. I mean, a batter per inning, which is about fine, which is fine. And you'll even take a little bit less, but this seven per nine right now is a little bit low for me. In the past, he's shown that he walks some guys and that walk rate can't regress. And he's been very good at allowing homers this year. He's only 0.36 per nine. And he's been good in general, but I need him to be, if he's going to be at this rate in strikeouts, he needs to not walk guys almost period. And he has to keep the ball in the ballpark. And it's a matter of how much faith you have in his ability on those two fronts, the, those two two of the three pillars that we're looking at, because he's not going to strike out guys. It doesn't look like, so he's got to control the walks and he's got to control the home runs. Yeah. And, and, and I feel more confident in his ability to control the home runs, although he's had a little bit of luck with that. His home run to fly ball rates, you know, minuscule. So that'll come up a little bit, but at the same time, he's a ground ball pitcher who gives up weak quality of contact. So those are, you know, issues that you would say would lead to a low home run rate. Um, so I, I feel confident that he can keep the home runs down the walks. He he's made a big jump, uh, you know, since his first two seasons in the majors, um, as you said, it's not as low as you'd like to see it for his lack of strikeouts, but it's, it's better. It's, it's been, it's better than it's been. And so I do feel like, you know, that is a key right now is, is can he continue to keep those walks? He walked three guys in his last start. You know, you don't want to see that trend continue. Right. Um, but if he can continue to keep his walks down, I think that's, that's a real key for him. But um, I do at this point, I endorse the, the quality of contact. I I just think he's established at that, at this point that he is a weak quality of contact guy. And if he can maintain the 50 plus percent ground ball rate, which it doesn't look like that's a problem because he's done it so far in his major league career is his career average is 51 percent. that's what that's going to help contain the home runs as well you're just worried about being in chicago in the summer right yeah he'll have some games um so that 182 era it could flip on on a dime (laughs) with a warm day when the wind's blowing out in chicago but uh i think he i think he's comfortable with the type of pitcher he is but yeah he's He's not a 182 ERA guy. I, I, the strikeouts, they might come up a little bit, but I think generally he's just not a big strikeout guy. Got to keep those walks down. Got to keep the home runs down. Um, I, I feel more confident that he can do that with the homers. The walks, I think we got to keep keep an eye on. And he's going to have a two-homer game at some point. You just hope he doesn't land a couple of walks in front of him at that point. That, exactly. This, this is the homers make pitchers volatile, and his ERA is going to come up because he's going to have an outing that – He's going to have an outing here and there. So he's basically, I don't know if he's a streamer per se, probably a streamer, but you just want to be careful about choosing your starts. I don't want to put him into Colorado, for example. Or I don't want to put him in the Yankee Stadium against the Yankees. No. Yeah. Um, and, and and like you said, I mean, there, there are going to be certain certain games where if you are a daily lineup league and if you see the winds blowing out in Chicago, um, yeah, there could be some danger there. But I think... I still think he's maybe a little. He, 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 is there somewhere in between streamer and yeah, that's, must start? That's what I was struggling for as well. <laughs> he's not quite a streamer, but he's certainly not in every start. You're gonna you're gonna sit him against some of the tougher starts. You're not gonna. Again, it's all about what's starting pitching for me, and I think everyone. I, I, I go through this advice every year. You got to get your splits on all your starting pitchers. You got to understand who they are, where they do well, what they don't do well, situations where they excel, situations that they don't. And there are going to be certain situations where you don't want to throw this guy. That's all. I think, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely true. But certainly, uh, I would say draft Cincinnati, value wise, you Cincinnati, you've Philadelphia, you may not want to do either of those ballparks, that type of thing. Yeah. All right, on every uh, claim list for the last couple of weeks, Mitch Keller has been showing there, and, and there are leaps in leaps and leaps and bounds here with his performance so far this year. What's going on with him? Because he he's he's found another gear. Oh, he's he's just absolutely become a, a, a good pitcher. I mean, he he has made such dramatic improvements in almost every category over the last couple of years. Obviously, last year there was talk about Mitch Keller in the preseason because he had gained velo. 
almost two miles per hour on his fastball. And that has stuck. I think some people wondered, is that going to stick? Yes, he's a 95, 96 mile per hour fastball. Okay, so that gets your attention right away. But then you think, okay, what does that mean though? And, and how comfortable is he with it? And I think it took him a little bit of time. You know, beginning of last year wasn't great for him to understand how to use it. <laughs> you know, how to use yeah. the extra velocity. Sometimes you get some extra velocity. That's great. But what do I do with it? And how can I use it to my advantage? Um, he was good at the end of last year and he's been great to start this year. Um, and he's managed to find a way to cut walks and uh, develop, weak, or, you know, initiate weak quality of contact. So those are two really, really good things um, that, that I just love to see what he's doing. And I think it's, it's comfort with that extra velo. Um, and the strikeouts are up. I, they weren't last year, but he's, again, I think it's his comfort level that he's developed with the extra velo. I think he needed some time because um, all of a sudden it was like he was a new pitcher. He went from being not a fastball-centric guy to being a guy with a very good fastball. And so he's understood how to use it. Um, you know, he has a cut to it. He has a, a sinker to it. So he can move it around a little bit. Still has, you know, a curveball he'll throw there and, and a bit of a slider, um, change of the pace a little bit. But really, it's about moving that that fastball around. And when it's, you know, 95, 96, you can do things with it that can really fool hitters. And all of those, that hard stuff, the sinker, the cutter, the fa- the four-seam fastball, it's all generating weak contact. So um, I, I really love where Mitch Keller's at. Still only 27 years old. This is all the examples of some of the things we talked about. Pitchers wander around and they found thing, find things. He found some velo, found it in the off season, found it in a phone call, found it in a text, found it in a bullpen, moved six inches on the rubber, whatever it takes. Pitchers find things. So this is a big change for him. And not only did he find velocity because velo in the major leagues, pitchers, can, uh, hitters can hit velo. They'll hit a bullet. If they know when it's coming and they know where it's going to be, they can hit it. Velo isn't going to beat hitters, but you got to find some other keys with it. He added the cut fastball here. He's just keeping hitters off balance, and it's about having velo. It's about being able to locate it, but it's also about keeping thoughts in the hitter's head so they're not just zoning in on that fastball. And we're, again, back to another situation where look at all the problems he had with walks and just control in general. And then he just found the point where I don't have to do this anymore. I can challenge these guys because I can beat them, and that's helped cut down his walks, which has made a significant difference in his game as well. And you can see why he was a little bit leery about coming in the zone before because he got a hit in the zone before. Yeah, his quality of contact was horrible (laughs) earlier in his career. Um, He was giving up hard quality of contact. And so, you know, naturally you give up hard quality contact. You don't want guys to make contact, so you don't pitch in the zone. Now he's given up weak quality of contact, so just throw it in the zone. You know, mix it around. You know, get that cut on it, get that sink on it, uh, move it all around. And uh, and he's just gotten so comfortable with that. And he's commanding it, you know, well and limiting the walks. Um, you know, I mean, he, he walks four guys in the opening start that was at Cincinnati. Again, I always say Cincinnati's a tough park to pitch in. Um, so that was the, the season opener for him. Wasn't a good start since then. Hasn't allowed more than two walks in a game. And in fact, in his last four starts, he's allowed one walk in each of them. Um, he's had some tough opponents in that stretch and he just continues to pitch well. Um, and he hasn't allowed a home run in his last four starts. Everything is really working. He just seems to be getting more and more comfortable. This is one of those things where it's almost like, you know, we talk about what are their, you know, how many innings has he pitched in his career? Where's he at? It's almost like you have to start over from 2022 for Mitch Keller because he came, he became a different pitcher in 2022. So he still only really has about, you know, a little over 200 innings in my mind in his career because I'm starting at 2022. Again, pitchers just find things and it it can happen. It can happen to a 32 year old. In this case, a 27 year old can happen to a 24 year old. And that's why you have to vet these a little bit. So everything, all of these gains look good. You see the velo gains. So the swinging strike and the chase rate is up. That all kind of makes sense. His ERA is down and it's only 72.9% left on base percentage. Not particularly lucky. And oh, by the way, had a 73% last year. So maybe this is, as you said, the new baseline for him. If I were going to ask you, though, I'm going to force you to pick on one thing that you these all seem real and these all seem supported. What's the one that you're most the game that you're most leery about at this point? 
Well, he the home runs, I think, uh, only given up four home runs. And as I mentioned, hasn't given up a home run in his last four starts. Um, th- th- that's going to come up. Um, he is not, per, you know, he, he doesn't give a, he doesn't have a high fly ball rate, but uh, doesn't have a high grind, ground ball rate. He kind of mixes it around a little bit. Um, I think, you know, again, as the weather warms up and he starts to, you know, go to some parks that might not be as favorable, he's going to give up some more home runs and, you know, his 7% walk rate is a much, is a great improvement, but it's not like it's an elite walk rate. And so just like we were saying with Justin Steele, if he does start to give up some more home runs, are there a couple guys on base, you know, where does that lead for him? But you know, I don't, I, you know, I'm not expect. I, I just think there's going to be the occasional rough start for Keller. I still think, you know, we have to start looking at him as, as, you know, working his way into a pretty reliable fantasy starter. And we've seen some gains in swing and miss and, and, and beating hitters, but he's still not quite an elite status. The chase rate's pretty good at 34, but that 10.5 swing strike, uh, a little bit more than the strikeout per nine at this point. It's It's really good. I'm not, I don't want to knock it at all, but it's not, power in terms of being able to get himself out of situations no and 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 like like i was saying though this could develop i'm not saying this year but this is a 27 year old who i i think is again i almost classify him as two years into his career in his second season um so think of if you think differently think about a guy who is a top prospect you know as coming into his second season we're willing to give him some time right i think we need to be the same thought process with Mitch Keller and I'm talking about specifically with the strikeouts like the strikeouts are fine they're good but I think he still has the potential to develop more of that Um, and drop that walk rate down as he gets more confident I also remember us joking about and I don't know if it was you specifically so don't let me throw you under the bus if you didn't (laughs) I remember us joking early in the year about the Pittsburgh organization and I'm looking at the gains on offense that are across the board the hitters just look better there's a lot of stuff going on this is an example of the pitching side as well the organization seems to be gaining some skills getting better they're developing some of these some of these players they're starting to maximize some of these players I think we have to look at the Pittsburgh organization in a little bit different light at this point. Yes. Might need a little more time to fully <laughs> buy in on that. Um, but, side, right? <laughs> well, they had, you know, Johan Oviedo was great. He, he's really struggled his last couple starts. Um, I do like Rowanzi Contreras. So, and, and then they, you know, just called up Luis Ortiz who got, you know, hit hard in his first start, but they do have some good young pitchers. And, uh, and we, they have some good young hitters. We've talked about them before too. Um, I like what they've done with their bullpen. I think David Bednar is one of the better closers in the game. Um, so they have, they have put together, uh, you know, a team of, and we, we mentioned they brought in some nice veterans to kind of yep. work with all these guys. I mean, Rich Hill is a good example of like, it, it's not about what Rich Hill does. It's about, the mentoring he has yeah. on these guys, right? I'm, I'm, I can't say for sure, but I'm sure Mitch Keller's picked his brain a, a bit. And even though they're different types of pitchers. You would um, hope because Rich Hill has, has a lot to offer. Rich Hill's seen a lot. Oh, my gosh. I mean, has anybody seen more than Rich Hill at this point? Uh, he's been in the league for 25 years. And you got to um, touching on the offensive side, which uh, Skyla talked about giving a lot of a lot of the credit to, to what's going on on the offensive side. Uh, for Pittsburgh as well. And it makes it makes a lot of sense having that leadership for these kids. You can't have a bunch of kids in the clubhouse. It's it's hard to wrangle them a little bit. But when a veteran is there with some voice, it, it can help out some of these guys. And by the way, whatever Mitch Keller found, he might have found with Rich Hill. You know, True. Yeah. And, and developed it better with him. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, is when you lose year after year after year, you get a lot of top draft picks and all of a sudden all these draft picks are now starting to make their way into the majors and they've got a load of them, you know, at, at the minor league level too. So they're not done yet. I mean, they are absolutely loaded in their farm. So these guys are going to continue to come up. I think it's smart to have some veterans in place that can mentor these guys. You can't just put together a whole team of 23 year olds. Um, so, you know, you bring in Andrew McCutcheon and, and Carlos Santana, I think has been a really good presence there as well. Um, and then, like you said, Rich Hill and, and, um, and, and a few other guys as well, who, who just can, can establish some, um, you know, some ways to do things in the major leagues. And so I, I think, yes, 
I, I it's it's hard for me to fully buy them because they've been so bad now for a while. Um, but it seems to be that they've done some things well. All right, so it sounds like sounds like we've bought in on Mitch Keller. We haven't quite bought in on the Pittsburgh organization, but we're shopping. We're window shopping. Are we yes. buying in on Eduardo Rodriguez? Because this, this is all kind of interesting, what I'm seeing so far this year. Yeah, um, yes. Uh, I mean, well, look. <laughs> yeah. He, he's not, again, we said with Justin Seal, not, what was he, 118 or whatever. Eduardo Rodriguez is not a 157 ERA guy. Right. Yep. Um, but it does seem like he's established some, uh, things that, you know, he's kind of feeling comfortable in Detroit last year was a rough year for him. He had some personal stuff going on. He missed time with injuries. Um, that was his first year in Detroit. Um, it seems like now a full off season and, you know, his second year in Detroit, things are looking a lot better. Um, he's dealing with some luck stats here. Um, you know, his left on base percentage, 90%, his BABIP is 209. I mean, those, those numbers are going to regress. That's, that's going to, you know, contribute to a higher ERA. Um, but it, it is hard to ignore the, the really good quality of contact numbers that, that he's putting up. Um, and, and that's why his X ERA, his expected ERA is, low 259 i mean yes it's a point higher than his actual era but again nobody's expecting him to finish with a 157 era but his hard hit percentage uh under 28 percent um you know his his average exit velocity is 85.7 miles per hour and eduardo rodriguez has always been a low quality of contact guy that's that's one of his calling cards it's what one of the things he does really well um but he's been able to do that and and capitalize on some luck numbers and his walks are down his walks are 5.3 percent that you know i'm not sure i'm gonna buy into that staying that way but you know he's never been that low he's also never been a terrible walk guy um so i i yes i'm buying in on him getting more comfortable in detroit does that work yeah yeah, it said with about the amount of conviction it deserves. <laughs> that way, now he's one of these guys. No, we've been talking about sliders a lot, and sliders, sliders, the dominant pitch in the game right now. And guys who have developed effective sliders generally do well. If they can't develop sliders, they develop cut cut fastballs. And this is one of a lot. A lot of times we see when we see gains or we see differences in deployment, it's just kind of mixing up that fastball a little bit and going to a cut fastball, which takes kind of the edge off it a little bit. The one thing that's happening this year that I expected to happen in Detroit last year was controlling the homers. He could be a little bit more. He could come in and walk less guys and take a little bit more contact. And, you know, in Detroit and in the Central Division, I was hoping that would level out a little bit. And it didn't happen last year. It's happening this year. He's more confident coming in the zone because he doesn't feel like he has to limit contact and keep the ball in the ballpark. I think that's all starting to play a little bit this year. Whether it holds, I don't know. I'm still not comfortable with him. In terms of, you know, swinging strike and and chase rate, although they're reasonable this year, I don't know, he should be better in Detroit. He should be better in the Central. And I'm hoping this is the beginning of something. Like you said, he had a lot of personal issues last year as well, too. So, you know, at this point, though, he's rosterable. This is where we get into you have to kind of play the hot hand at this point, too, don't you? You have to grab the Millers of the world and you have to grab uh, Eduardo Rodriguez while it's going well with the understanding of when it starts to go awry. Cut him and find the other hot hand. Yeah, um, I think he's more than just rosterable. I, I again, not a must start, but I think he he should be rostered on every team. Um, and um, I think even if he goes through a bit of a rough patch, I still want to hold on. Um, you know, barring some some important injury or something along those lines. That you mentioned the cut, getting that cutter, um, and 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 just committing to the cutter. Those are things that I do think, you know, the narrative is working here. Um, and I think he's getting, you know, again, comfortable in Detroit and to where he's where he is with his pitch uh, deployment. Not to mention he's somewhat of a uh, of a contract year because he can opt out of his contract after this year. Um, and 30 years old, if he's coming off of a solid year like this, he, he he could get a contract where he makes more money than what he's making right now. 
So he's not a 157 pitcher. I think we all agree on that. And the 90.4% left on base percentage, the 209 BABIP, are things that have to regress to a bit. And of course, in the end, he's going to have a good ERA to bring into those contract negotiations. So that, that free agent tour or his ability to opt out if he wants to, he's going to have good numbers because of the 50 innings he's put up so far. But for the rest of the way, if I'm going to put the uh, over under at 3.9, let's put at 3.9 ERA pace for the rest of the season. What do you think? The rest of the way. Yeah. I am. I'm going to go under. About what he's been, right? It is. And, you know, you'd argue, well, he's already got a 157 ERA, so I would expect, you know. Oh, no, it's going to be lower because he's got 50 innings pitched at 157, so that's mm-hmm. going to lower his year-end ERA. You're saying from now till the end of the season. Yeah, and we're going to have this discussion next spring during draft season because right. that ERA is going to look pretty good. Yeah, no, and I, I, I'm going to go under on the three nine, not significantly under, but I do think his, as you mentioned, he's in Detroit. He's not pitching in Fenway Park. He's not pitching, you know, as as often against the Yankees, and so it does seem like he's getting more comfortable with throwing in the zone, being able to limit home runs, and the the quality of contact. I think is he again. He's always had good quality of contact numbers. So, so it's, it's really good right now, but it's not like it comes out of nowhere. Right. He's always been able to limit quality of contact. Um, so I think his comfort level is there that I'm going to go under on the three nine. All right. Drew Smiley stretches our thoughts on this quite a bit because no punch out ability at all and less punch out ability this year than we've seen in the past or similar, but uh, the swinging strike and the chase rate is a little bit down from past years. So an uncomfortable level of swing and miss in his game isn't a particularly big ground ball guy pitches for Chicago right, mm-hmm. and has a history of giving up home runs. So we really have to buy in here with Drew Smiley that something has changed before we get too comfortable about his good start 305 and the 97 whip. Yeah. And, and he's been a bit of uh, an enigma <laughs> this season, as you're kind of referencing, um, he's had obviously some really dominant starts, um, and his his season opener was bad as another start at Cincinnati, which is again a really tough place to play, even if their lineup is questionable. Um, other than that, he's been he's he's allowed two or less runs every single start since then. So he's been very good since then, um, but only four homers allowed on the season. And this is what you're referencing. Home runs have been a problem for Smiley in the past. He is a fly ball pitcher, um, but he has made, you know, he, ha- he is giving up weak quality of contact, um, the weakest of his career. Um, I, I mean, really, really good quality contact numbers. He is limiting the walks. Um, so that's really good. And so his ERA again, 3.04. And that is largely because of that opening start that season opener. I mean, you take that out and his ERA is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, X FIPS high because it's questioning the home runs. <laughs> right. Um, but the X ERA is about where his ERA actually is because it's acknowledging the weak quality of contact. Um, but yes, ultimately you have to feel like there are going to be some home runs. But, you know, I feel like the walks are legit. You know, this is now two years, really, with low walk numbers. And um, the strikeouts, yeah, he's not a strikeout guy. Um, You know, strikeouts are low, but that's who he is at this point in his career. He used to be more of a strikeout guy earlier in his career, um, but not at this point in his career. But I do think the weak quality of contact seems to be pretty legit. A little bit more line drive rate is up a little bit. Swing strike is down. Chase rate is down. I mean, he's probably intentionally pitching more towards contact. Kind of hard to believe, but he's intentionally pitching uh, more towards contact this year. So I'm just a little leery because when things heat up and we get into the dog days and the homers return, you know, what is he at this point? But last year in Chicago in 2022, that's a perfectly fine season. The 347 ERA, 119 whip, even though he gave up a bunch of homers or a higher rate of homers than you're probably comfortable with. He didn't walk a ton of guys. He, of course, didn't strike out a ton of guys. So let's put the 347 from last year for the rest of the way on the over-under. That I'm going to go over. Um, I, I do think the home runs are going to come. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think he's going to give up some home runs. Uh, but, I, you know, I 
can he, you know, make most of those solo home runs? I think that's possible just because, again, he keeps his walks down and such. But, um, you know, it's the sinker that gives up home runs. If he doesn't, you know, that sinker has to be pinpoint. And, uh, you know, there's going to be starts he doesn't have it, as we kind of saw in his season opener. Um, you know, he's actually primary, primarily curveball guy, but of course, kind of half and half curveball, fastball, and fastball yeah. has sink on it. Um, but he's going to give up some home runs on that, that pitch. And, uh, I think, you know, there's going to be some starts where he probably does get blown up a little bit. And, you know, the, and the hard thing about that is I don't almost know if that's a streamer situation because it's like, if he just doesn't have control of that fastball, it doesn't really matter who the opponent is. True. And so, like, you know I mean? Like his best start this season was at, or was against the Dodgers. You, you, you know, if you're streaming, that would have been a bench Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that was a game he pitched almost eight innings, gave up one hit, struck out 10. And his worst start was against Cincinnati. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know if it's so much a streaming thing. I think it's just there's going to be a game or two. He just doesn't have it. So there's a lot of mixed messages here, because if you a guy if you have a guy who gives up homers, the things you're concerned about is walks and he's limited his walks. He did it last year. He's got the ability to do it. He's going to be able to limit his walks again. I don't question those gains over the last couple of seasons. But his whip is down to 97 from 119 last year and 125 on his career. And that's down to the third, 238 BABIP. And it's like, is that sustainable? That's not sustainable. More base runners, more homers. It's going to get kind of dicey. And like you said, it just get when you don't have strikeout ability and you give up home runs, it's like there's just so, there's volatility there. There is. And, that, and that's why I think you're taking a risk with Smiley because there's going to be blow up. I, I, I like his, his season opener every now and then he's going to get, yep. he's going to have a start, but I think it's kind of going to be hit or miss. I think he's going to more often than not have pretty good starts, but you know, you're taking a risk every time you throw out, throw him out there. He doesn't have, you know, that sink on his, his, his fastball and, uh, and guys, you know, hit two, three home runs off him. So, um, I think, yeah, that's, that's a risk you're taking with Smiley, but I think, you know, still deep leagues, NL only leagues. I mean, you, you know, you gotta be mostly starting them. All right. So you get a lobby in your league to allow you to take out your starting pitcher before the third inning. If things don't look good. Oh yeah. You don't have that in your fantasy league already. <laughs> I don't have that in my fantasy league. I wish I did. There are a couple of occasions where I would have exercised it. <laughs> no about it. All right. We looked we took another look at this on Sirius XM. And you can go check the SXM app on demand. We get in a little bit deeper on some other pitchers as well. Uh, the Fantastics Insider Baseball podcast can be found on the baseball blog at insiderbaseball.com. Free to non-subscribers, this podcast, and, of course, all the writing on the blog with some samples of some of the stuff we send to subscribers. And, again, if you're listening to us on the blog, coming to the blog, welcome. We love having you here. But uh, find us on Apple or Google or Spotify and subscribe so you know when the new episodes drop because we're not working on a really regular regular schedule and you're going to want to get them right away everyone have a great day we'll see you next time let's on go. the fantastics inside a baseball podcast oh, yeah. let's go hey.